Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning. That is really a long intro. You know, I've, I've seen it many times, but down there, it, it doesn't seem as long as when you're standing up here. Um, my name is Dave Alley. I'm the Next Steps Director on our staff. And if you don't know, Andrew Bates, our teaching pastor here, he's taking a little bit of time off, much needed time. So um, I'm filling the bench, filling the bench for him. So I'm really glad to be here today. Uh, my position on staff is the Next Step Director. Um, I have two boys, 13 and 16. And they're in a phase of life right now where I'm trying to teach them some life lessons, you know. And uh, recently we were talking about money. And I was teaching them the magic of compounding interest, all right? Now, you may understand this concept, right? But I posed a question to them, and you may have heard this before, but I said, hey, what if I could give you a million dollars today, hypothetically, or I could give you a penny that doubles every day for 30 days. Which one would you choose? Now, you know, may know this is a trick question, right? A uh, million dollars today or a penny that doubles every day for 30 days. Well, if you take a look at this chart, you will see that when you start out, first 15 days, it, it's really not looking good. You're like, man, I, I totally made the wrong choice. <laughs> day 15, you're only at $163. And then something magical starts to happen. Day 23, you're at 41. Day 25, you're at $167,000. And day 28, it pays off. $1.3 million. You surpass that million dollar a day mark. And by day 30, you're at $5.3 million. That's the magic of compounding interest, you know? And uh, as we dive into the psalm today, we're going to see that this psalm is going to teach us a very similar concept in life as well. This psalm is going to show us that there are two ways to live our lives. We can live our lives for the here and the now, or we can live our lives in light of eternity. Each way is very different, and each way has very different results. But what we're going to learn, and if you have your outline with you, the bottom line for today's sermon is a committed life is a better life. A committed life is a better life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for those gathered here. Lord, we just pray that you would open up our, art, our, our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear your word. Lord, speak to us in the ways that we need to hear you speak today. Lord, speak through me. Lord, help me to get out of the way. Pray that you would say in this room what you want to say today. And so, Lord, bless this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, Psalm 37 is where we are at. And uh, I'll just go ahead and give you a little bit of background about Psalm 37. Psalm 37 was written by King David, like, right, like many of the other Psalms. It was written later on in his life, and we're going to see that in one of the verses that we cover today. Uh, Psalm 37 was also written as an acrostic poem. So you may remember last week, Kevin talked about Psalm 119 and how it was written in a similar fashion. Basically, the lines are arranged with Hebrew sentences that begin with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So A and then a sentence, B and then a sentence, C and then a sentence, except, you know, it's obviously Hebrew letters, right? 
And so what you're going to learn today is that a lot of the themes of this psalm, they're spread out over the, the whole psalm. And uh, as a result, um, we're going to kind of be all over the place, and the themes are repeated over and over again. But I want, before we dive in, I want to define a few terms for us. David talks about two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked. Now, the righteous are those who seek uh, to please God and embrace his presence in their life. They live by faith, and they see their lives in light of eternity. In other words, they live the penny-a-day approach to life. The wicked, however, they are those who see themselves as God. They seek to serve themselves and do whatever it takes to make themselves happy. And they live to get the most out of this life. And they want to get their million dollars today, right? Because this is what they have. Um, now, the wicked, they could be everyday people. They are simply people who just don't take God into consideration as they live their lives. They could be doctors. They could be school teachers. They could be administrators, right? They could be engineers. They could be your neighbors, they could be your family members. Why do you think David calls them wicked? I and mean, doesn't that seem like a really strong term? But the fact of the matter is, from God's perspective, you're either living your life for God or you aren't. You're either pursuing righteousness or you're pursuing wickedness. And so David is going to present us with a problem today between the wicked and the righteous, and then he's going to offer us a solution. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to look at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Now this word fret is important. Now when we look at this word fret, we think about worry or being anxious. But what this Hebrew word actually means is um, do not get heated over, or do not get all worked up, or don't be bothered by. So, as you see in your outline, don't be bothered by the life of the wicked. That's what David is saying here. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about Psalm 73 and Asaph. And if you remember, he was envious of the wicked. He spent most of his life looking at what the wicked were doing. He was like, why can't I have that? Why can't I live my life that way? And he was envious of it. And if you remember, Andrew challenged us not to get caught up in the land of Ur. What I mean by that is where everywhere we go, there is someone richer or taller or smarter or happier. To Asaph, he had fallen into the comparison trap. He was envious of the wicked. What David is saying to us today is similar, but it's a little bit different. What he's saying is, when the wicked succeed, don't get mad. Don't become obsessed every time you see the wicked succeed or be, be successful in life. Um, that's still not worth being bothered or angered or heated over. Why? Why shouldn't we get angry when we see the wicked succeed? Because the, the wicked... They live their best life now. They live their best life now. And we're going to see this play out in two ideas that David's going to bring to life in the scripture. The first thing he's going to tell us is that the wicked, they disadvantage others. And the second, that their days are numbered. So let's look at this first thing. They disadvantage others. Verse 14 says, The wicked draw the sword and they bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. See, the wicked, they take every advantage they can in life, sometimes even at the detriment of others. 
Verse 21 says, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. I mean, the wicked in this passage even have a visceral response towards the wicked. Now, I, know, I realize not every person who's wicked may have this kind of response. David is kind of using an extreme example, but I do think it's safe to say that when the wicked see the righteous living their life in such a way that they're, you know, living pennies a day approach, they're like, why are you living that way? Like, why aren't you trying to get your best life now? They don't understand it. And maybe for some of them, it does frustrate them or even make them angry, right? They, they're, they're angry at the wicked. But here's the deal. For the wicked, their tactics might work. You know, maybe they do borrow and they don't pay back. Maybe they do take advantage of other people to, get their, to, to move ahead in life. And maybe it does lead to them becoming richer and more successful. Maybe it works. They get what they want whenever they want, even to the detriment of others. And I think sometimes the thing that bothers the righteous, the reason they get angered or bothered by the wicked is because of their ability to get whatever they want whenever they want it. But here's the deal. I have to remember that for the wicked, their days are numbered. And that's the second point David brings out in the scripture. Their days are numbered. Take a look at verse 2. It says, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. Their days are like grass. Think about your yard. You know, you have millions of blades of grass, and every week you pull out the mower and you chop them off, right? Cut them down. Um, David, where he lived, right, in the Middle East, um, that region is very dry. And so very often you may have a blade of grass grow up in the morning, and then by late afternoon it's already withering. That's what he's saying. We like to think, I like to think of this idea like pro athletes, right? They're young, they're athletic, they're strong, they come up through college, and all of a sudden they land a big, huge contract with a sports team. They get their big deal, multi-million dollar deal. We see their names um, in the news. We see them on ESPN, right? We follow them on Twitter, and they're known, they're famous. And then one day, they get a knee injury. Or maybe they play their sport long enough that they just age out, and, and their bodies just can't play it at that level anymore. And all of a sudden, their deals go away, and their name is not in the news. They're not on ESPN, and maybe they go to the Hall of Fame or whatever, and, and occasionally we see their name, but for the most part, they're there, and then they're not, and they aren't mentioned anymore. That, that's what he's saying with the wicked. What David is saying is, don't be bothered by the wicked. They have their best life right now, but they will vanish, all right? So that's the wicked, right? They're living their best life now. But what about the righteous? Let's switch gears for a moment and let's talk about the righteous. Now, the righteous, we're going to learn, the righteous play the long game. The righteous play the long game. They don't have their million dollars now, 
But what they are going to have later on is going to be much more. It's going to be much more. And we see that played out through two ideas. And the first idea is this one. The righteous will inherit the land. Let's take a look at these verses. Verse 9 says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever, verse 29 says. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I don't know if you notice in verse 11 there that phrase, but the meek shall inherit the land. That was a phrase Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw about the Beatitudes, the meek. And the meek there are those that are humble and teachable. And they endure their adversary without anger or envy or complaint because they're not pushing their own agenda. They're pushing, they're living out God's agenda for their life. And this idea that you see underlined here, uh, inherit the land. What David is talking about here, he's talking about eternity. He's talking about eternity. The righteous are not living for today, but they're living for eternity. And what I think is interesting is David li David's life predates Jesus's Christ, Jesus Christ's life. And Jesus does give us eternal life. We know that. We've seen the whole story written out through the Bible, and we even know the end of the story. We know that one day Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to judge the righteous and the wicked, and he's truly going to cut off the wicked. And then he is going to take this world that is marred by sin and death, and he is going to make it new. If you read Revelation, Revelation 21 said he is going to make the heaven and the earth new. And guess what? The righteous get to inherit that new land. That's what David is saying here. So the reason the righteous aren't bothered by the wicked, or the reason they don't experience FOMO, fear of missing out, is because they understand the long game, right? But what about right now? Is there any benefit to living the long game now? I mean, eternity is great, but what about today? What about this week? What about the rest of your life? Well, the first reason the righteous play the long game, like we said, is to, in is to inherit the land, right? But the second reason is because the righteous won't be forsaken. Take a look at 17 through 19. It says, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless, they spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In the days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Even in this world, the Lord will take care of the righteous. The Lord upholds them, and he sustains them. Look at verse 23. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Though the righteous stumble, they're not going to fall. Look at verse 16. I really, really like this one. It says, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. I mean, the wicked have abundance, but better is the little that the righteous have? Well, why is that? Why is that better? Well, let's think about that for a second. All right? They have their best life right now, the wicked. And they are living for everything that this world has to offer. Think about money for a second. 
right? The wicked, they have their toys, and they live for their toys. The next nicest car, the bigger house, the, the vacations, I mean, the, the next iPhone, I mean, you name it. There, there's toys all over this world. And the, the wicked live for the next toy, but you know what? It doesn't satisfy because as soon as you get that brand new car, you see the next year's car come out. And you're like, oh, they got these features. <laughs> or the phone. Or the house. And then you want the next bedroom. And, it, and it, you're always wanting more. The other thing about money is it could disappear like that. You could have it, and then you could not. Your business could be successful, and then it could fall apart. But guys, the righteous, the righteous have a God who's all-powerful and who sustains them and who never forsakes them. That's who the righteous have. Well, what about fame? What about prestige, right? The idea of being known. The wicked strive to be known and liked by others, right? They want Twitter followers. They want friends. They want their likes on social media. But it's superficial. But the righteous, well, the righteous they are known intimately by the God who created the universe. And he loves them. He accepts them. He gives their life worth. And let me tell you, that is way more valuable. What about pleasure? What about pleasure? The wicked, they pursue every pleasure this world has to offer in order to try to make themselves happy. The thing is, you can go out after a lot of things in this life, but it never truly will make you content. It'll never truly satisfy. You'll get your fix on something, but then you're only wanting more. But guys, the righteous have a God that offers them eternal pleasures. What do I mean by that? I want to show you this verse in Psalm 16, 11. David actually wrote this psalm as well. And he's praying to God and he says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When we delight in God, we can find contentment. We can truly be satisfied in him where we won't have to look for the next greatest thing. Or pleasure. God offers that to us. I want to show you a quote by C.S. Lewis. I feel like he puts this whole idea into perspective really well. He says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an infant, ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Like, like a child making mud pies in the slum because he can't understand what it is to have a holiday at the sea. That's what, that's what pleasure is like, Right? And God offers us eternal pleasure if we would take him up on it. So if you're following our outline, you'll see that the solution to our problem of being bothered by the wicked, right, is a committed life to the Lord. A committed life to the Lord. 
And here's a question I have for you. If a committed life truly is a better life, why? Why is it a better life? How is it a, be a better life? How is a committed life really the solution to our problem? Well, I think it's because of the two, uh, two reasons I mentioned earlier with the righteous. When you play the long game, it means your goal is not to strive to get your best life right now. You're not looking for the things in this world to, to truly fulfill you. It's not wrong to have things in your life. I mean, we're here. We, we have houses, cars, whatever. But our goal is not to find our ultimate pleasure and happiness in those things. We're just here. Our goal is to find our contentment in, in Jesus. And we have a God who gives us eternal pleasures where true commitment is found. While the, the wicked hope in these things, they vanish and they're cut off. But the righteous get to inherit a new heaven and a new earth. That's where we put our minds focus on. It's the fact that we are inheriting a new land and he is making a new home for us. That's where we set our minds on a daily basis, that that's where our home is. The other thing that we do, um, secondly, God is never going to forsake us. Even in this life, even as we live our day to day, he is not going to leave us. He's going to sustain us. He's going to uphold us. You may look at your pennies in life right now and be like, man, I feel like I'm on day seven and all I have to my name is 64 cents, right? But you got to remember, God, God is going to take care of you. He's all powerful and he will uphold you. I want you to think about the story of Job. You remember him? He was a guy who lost his children. He lost his possessions. And he even lost his health. And even in the midst of that, he did not curse God. But he blessed him. Or think about Abraham. Abraham was just living his life, comfortable. And God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to go. He's like, where? He's like, I'll show you where. Just go. <laughs> and he went to a land that he did not know. And he obeyed God. Or what about Gideon? God asked Gideon to fight a battle. Gideon's like, okay. He assembled an army. And God said, that's too many men. And he whittled it down. He said, God said, that's too many men. And he whittled it down again. At the end, he had 300 men. And God asked him to fight a battle against 120,000 men. That's 400 to 1 odds. But he did it. Because God asked him to do it. And he actually won that battle. It's a very cool story. You'll have to look that up. Here's the deal. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's how we are to live our lives. All these people I mentioned, they went through really hard times. They waited to inherit the land that God was going to give them. And God took care of them. And in each situation... No amount of suffering they experienced was in vain. God used it. God used all of it. And isn't that what you want from your life, for God to use you? I mean, don't you want your life to amount to more than just being happy in this life? Well, the good news is if you, you can trade your life, your better life now, you can trade that in for inheriting eternal life. You can. You can do that. That's the good news. And a committed life to the Lord truly is a better life. It is our solution. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? If, if 
If we are to live this committed life, how do we do it? How do we have that mindset? I think the answer is found in verses 3 through 8 of this passage. And if you know Psalm 37, you know these verses, right? This is where, where David begins to give us some application on how we live the committed life. So I'm going to walk through these with you. It says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Do what you know is right. Dwell in the land. Dwell in this life in the place that God has put you. And while you're doing that, befriend faithfulness. You can also translate that, that cultivate faithfulness. Or the way the NIV puts it is enjoy safe pasture. So while you're living in this land, while you're eating the grass that God has put before you, right? He's the good shepherd. He's leading us from pasture to pasture. As we're, we're in this safe pasture, don't look to these other pastures. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Look at the next verses. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The idea there is... As you delight in God, he is truly satisfying every need and desire you have. And the more you get of him, the more you are content and satisfied. And he's filling the desires that your heart truly desires and wants. It's found in him. Eternal pleasures, like we talked about. Look at the next set of verses. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as light, your justice as the noonday. Guys, committing your life to the Lord means you give up control of your destination. You let God dictate your way in life. What do I mean by that? I like to think of it like a car, you know? You're driving the car. You're controlling the destination of your life. You're deciding this is where I'm going to go. But when you live the committed life, when you commit your life to Jesus, you move over into the passenger seat. And what you're saying is, God, from now on, you get to control the destination. You decide what I'm going to be when I grow up. You decide how my business is going to go or how my job or how my aging or whatever my life is going to do, you, you decide all that. You know the destination in mind. Not only that, but you decide which way we go to get there. You may be going through life and the Lord may take a left and you're like, whoa, 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 we should take a right there. And he's like, no, I know where I'm going. You need to take a left here, but I don't want to go left. It hurts. There's painful. It's painful there. He's like, you need to go left. Because I know where I'm going and I know how to get you there. That's what it means to commit your way to the Lord. You give up control of your life. Let's look at these next set of verses, 7 and 8. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Be still. Wait. Even in those hard seasons when it's really hard. Wait. Be patient. He will act. He will move. 
And as you're waiting and you see these people moving ahead in life and they get the promotion and you don't and they're getting this and that, don't get angry. Refrain from anger. He's in control. So you have these imperatives here that David lays out for us. You see them there in your notes. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in him. Commit your way to God. Be still and wait for him and refrain from anger. These are the ways that you live the committed life. This is the way you walk like the righteous walk. This is the way we live the Christian life. Doesn't mean it's easy. You know, not too long ago, I was unemployed. Um, really for a total of about nine months. I was looking for a ministry job at a church, and uh, I had a couple leads on a couple things, and then in February of 2020, COVID hit. And that was the time when all the churches began to close their doors. And I know lots of organizations were in disarray, but churches specifically depend on people gathering together, right? And uh, all of a sudden, all the churches that I was looking at, the jobs began to dry up. And they quickly became unavailable. And uh, that's when life got real. <laughs> we had bills to pay, my wife and I, and we were struggling. We were like, God, how are you going to do this? You know, we talk about faith in church, but that's when we were required to live our faith out. And it was tough. And there were days I would read something in the Bible and I'd be encouraged, or I'd hear a song or something in a song, and I'd be encouraged, and my wife would be discouraged. And then there were other days where she would be encouraged and I would be discouraged and we would pray together and we'd read scripture together. We'd share what we're learning. We would process our emotions together. But even with all that, it was, it was hard. It was really tough. And I remember one day I had just heard a no from a church and uh, man, I was at my all time low. And my wife, she said, hey, follow me outside. And I remember going on my back porch, and it was just a, the day was just kind of blah, you know? Like, the breeze wasn't blowing, it was just stale. The air was stale. I was looking at this pecan tree in our backyard, and it was just kind of there. Like, the, the leaves, or the, the limbs weren't moving, they weren't swaying, the leaves weren't rustling. Nothing was moving. And honestly, it felt exactly like my life. And I was just like, I am stuck. We are stuck and we are not moving. And God, what are you doing? Like, fix this, do something. And right about that moment, my wife said, look up. And as I looked up, this is what I saw. There were these clouds and they were just moving quickly across the sky. They were just flying across the sky. And it was an unbelievable contrast to what I was seeing in front of me, right, right, on, right in front of me and with my eyes. It was as if God was saying, what you're looking at, what you're seeing, it's not moving, it's not changing. But if you would keep your eyes on me, you would know that I'm doing all kinds of things that you can't even see. I am moving, I am changing, I am providing. Guys, I, I got to tell you, we, were, we would get a gift through a mail, through the mail from someone that didn't even know our situation. And it would be exactly the amount of money we needed right then that day. 
I'd get a COVID stimulus check and it would be just enough to pay our bills at that time. He was providing for us. He was sustaining us. He was not forsaking us. Now we wanted a job and it wasn't coming as quickly as we wanted to, but he was providing. And we were required to be still and simply wait. And little did I know that at that same time that I was looking at the tree and the clouds and all that stuff, the chapel was working on filling the position that I'm in right now. I didn't know that. I didn't see that, but God was working. And at just the right time, God opened the door for us to uh, walk through that door. And God provided for us. We were trusting in him. We were trying our best to befriend faithfulness and delight in him. We were 100% committed to him. All of our eggs were in the God basket. We, we had no other choice, and we were forced to be still and wait. And listen, guys, I can testify to you today that the Lord is good. If you trust in him, he will act. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. He will. I know many of you may be facing some hard times right now. Maybe some of you, you've lost loved ones. Maybe some of you have gone through a divorce and you're grieving those relationships. Maybe some of you, you're trying to raise kids that are making really poor choices in life. Maybe you're suffering from a health condition, maybe chronic pain. Maybe you're unemployed like I was. Unfortunately, there is a million ways our lives can be hard. But how are you dealing with it? I want to show you verse 25 of this psalm. David says, I have been young, now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The Lord does not forsake the righteous. And I want you to remember that in these moments in your life when your faith is truly squeezed, you have a choice to make. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to befriend God? faithfulness? Are you going to commit your way fully to the Lord? Are you going to simply be still and wait for him to act? Because if you do, he will not only come through for you, he will not only sustain you, but guess what? He is going to use your pain. If you endure hardship, he's going to use that to help an unbelieving world trust him. He is going to use your temporary suffering for eternal good. I want you to think about Christ and all that he endured. I mean, he had won the jackpot. He was sitting at the right hand of God, but he chose to come down to this earth for pennies a day. He chose to live the life that we lead on earth. And he suffered at the hands of men. He was rejected by men. And in the end, he chose to go to the cross for us. You know why? So that we could have eternal life, so that we could have another way, so that we could play the long game. He did that so we could have that choice. And at the very end of his life, you know, he's, 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross and he's praying. And I want to show you what he prays. He prays this. He says, he's talking to God. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In other words, he said, God, I did everything you wanted me to do. I lived the way you wanted me to live. I'll be honest, I want to be able to say that at the end of my life. Don't you? Don't you want to be able to say that? A committed life is a better life because, like Jesus, it makes your life count. When you don't settle for your best life now, but instead you trade that in to play the long game, you provide an opportunity for God to use you to impact other people, to turn others from their best life now to the long game. In other words, from death to life. God can use you to change someone else's eternity. You know, it's great compounding interest. Like if you show somebody that to, to be able to change their retirement, you know, to have some kind of security. But you know what's better? Showing somebody the long game. Showing somebody that when they put their faith in Jesus, it affects their eternity. And when you live the committed life, you offer people that option. And believe me, that's the committed life, and it is absolutely better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for us on the cross, for offering us a better way of life. Thank you for offering us eternal life. And Lord, I just want to pray for those who may be in the room who have been living their best life now. And they're trying to get the most out of this life and it's not satisfying them. And they're not content. I pray, Lord, that you would open up their hearts and you would help them to see, Lord, that they can trade that life in for something better. And for those of us in the room who are Christians, but aren't living that way. We're trying to have our cake and eat it too. We're trying to live our best life now and live the committed life. I, I just pray that you would show us, Lord, where we are half-hearted and where it's not working, where the areas of our life that we need to truly commit our way to you. Lord, work in our hearts. And Lord, lead us in the right way. Lead us to the committed life that you talk about. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in just a little bit, we are going to take communion. And um, here at the chapel, we practice what we call an, an open table. And what that means is, regardless of what church you come from, if you are a believer, committed follower of Christ, you are welcome to participate. We would love for you to come and participate. If you're not a believer in Christ, we ask that you refrain. Okay? So for, for a couple moments, I want you to, I'm just going to give you a chance to sit and think. Process what you just heard. Are you living your best life now? And if you are, and you want to trade that in, it is not too late. Today you can make a decision to follow Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you do what the psalmist says. You trust in the Lord. You make a decision that I'm, gonna, I'm going to delight in him rather than 
all the things that I've, I've been putting my hope in. You commit your way to him. You say, Lord, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. You ask forgiveness for the ways in which you've sinned. You declare that today. Maybe for some of you, as you sit here in this room, you're like, man, God is putting his finger on an area of my life that I have not committed to him. I've been selfish in. And I need to, I need to, I need to give this over. I want to give you a second to get right with the Lord. And after that, I'm going to give you a chance to get up. And what we're going to do is we're going to come out this side, my left, your right. Um, and you're going to, you're going to walk this way, counterclockwise. We're going to come out of our rows. You're going to come down. You're going to get the bread and the, and the wine and, or the grape juice. And you're going to walk back to your seat and then we'll take it together. Okay. So take a moment and then I'll, I'll prompt you here in just a few moments. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.